Welcome to Between the Two of Us. I'm Jen Alley. I'm a licensed professional counselor, and my goal is to make therapeutic concepts and neurobiology accessible while normalizing your experience as a human being. In these episodes, I offer practical strategies to improve your relationships and your life. Thanks so much for tuning in. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello, and welcome back to Between the Two of Us. This is your host, Jen Alley, and I am excited today for episode four to talk to you about how you talk to yourself and why it matters. So to give you a little bit of background on why we're talking about this, um, I had found in my practice, my therapy practice with clients that when many clients come in, they talk really negatively or poorly to themselves. They're really hard on themselves. They're harsh with themselves. And I think there's a variety of reasons for that. You know, I think a lot of times um, people might be raised in more like harsh or critical environments or maybe in order to keep themselves safe as a child, they learned how to like kind of be hard on themselves all the time to avoid criticism or judgment. Um, I also think in general, right, like our culture has always thought that like kind of being hard on yourself and being perfectionistic um, had like positive qualities or positive attributes. But I think we're learning more and more from the research that it's actually quite the opposite, that being harsh with ourselves and being hard on ourselves is actually not super helpful. So one of the benefits, you know, over time in therapy is that a lot of people report that they are so much more kind to themselves and that they're so much more, you know, gentle or loving toward themselves, even when they make mistakes or even when they're having a hard time. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about the research behind that today, some practices that you can do to help yourself be a little bit kinder to yourself. Um, But also knowing that that's it, you might think like, oh, if I'm nicer to myself, I'm going to be less effective when in fact, actually the opposite is quite true. And I'll talk to you today about the research with that. So, you know, most of us have a running internal dialogue going all of the time, right? Or most of the time. And some of our self-talk is negative. Some of it's positive. Some of it's neutral, But a lot of it helps us to regulate our emotions, our physiology. It helps us to organize our thoughts and problem solve. It even can improve our attention, you know, so we stay on task. And many of us might not even be aware of our self-talk, right? We might not even be cognizant of how we're talking to ourselves. So many times, I think the first step And just learning about our internal dialogue is just to stop and to start noticing, just pause throughout your day and start noticing, like, how am I talking to myself in general, but also and especially maybe when we've made a mistake or when something goes wrong. So we also know, of course, that we can purposely use self-talk to improve performance in things like athletics or academics or in regulating our anxiety or depression. So self-talk is super important. I mean, if you think about it, like I sometimes think about with clients talking to them about someone who is in a race and let's say that you're, you know, a runner and you're in this race and you have a coach who is encouraging you and like reminding you to like, hey, grab you know, some water. Hey, like, what are your, you know, kind of blood sugar levels at? Do you need something to snack on while you're running? You're doing great. Keep going. You've got this five more miles. 
versus a coach who is saying like really ugly things like you're so slow or you're doing terribly or, you know, um, you're at the back of the pack and you better get it together. And just in your own body right now, you might think about if someone is telling you something encouraging when you're in the middle of something hard versus when someone is like mean to you, just the difference in your own body right now of how that feels. And so that's what our self-talk is doing, right? It's like constantly there impacting how we feel and what we're thinking um, and even like our physiology. So take a moment to check in right now. How do you talk to yourself most of the time? Do you know? What about when you've made a mistake or done something you regret? Anything from, you know, you dropped a mug off the counter, it broke in a million pieces. Do you say things like, oh, I'm such an idiot or you know, I'm so stupid. Or do we say something like, oh man, like accidents happen and like, do we clean it up? And what about like relational mistakes? When you've said something, you know, that you wish you wouldn't have said or done something you wish you wouldn't have done, how do you talk to yourself then? So if you don't know, right, this is a great opportunity to start to check in with yourself because that is one of the main things is we have to start to be aware of what's happening inside if we want to be able to change that. So, you know, as I said before, negative self-talk can have really detrimental impact on our mental and emotional well-being. It feeds anxiety, depression, and shame. And I think about sort of like that old adage, you are what you eat. You also are what you think, right? Because it's just that constant tape that's going on. And, you know, we all, I mean, I I think most people, I certainly do have an internal critic and it's the one that can pop up, right? And maybe we have a weird interaction and we're like, oh, I'm so awkward. Uh, Or when something goes wrong. But for some people, for maybe many people, this internal critic is the one who's really running the show most of the time. And I want to help change this for you because that can really help you It can help your mental and emotional well-being, and it can help you even to perform better. And so this also brought to mind then the work of Dr. Brene Brown, right? So she talks a lot about shame, and she defines shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And so, you know, I think how this shows up day to day is like, it's that focus on me versus the behavior. So like, let's say I drop that mug and my, my immediate reaction is like, oh, I'm such an idiot. I'm so clumsy. The focus is on me, right? Versus I drop that mug and I say, oh, I wish I would have been more careful, right? It's the focus on the behavior versus, or like maybe I slip on something that's on the floor. And, and again, instead of saying I'm such an idiot, I'm like, oh, I should have picked up that shirt and then I wouldn't have slipped on it. And so the focus is on the behavior versus the person. And you might even think about, you know, if you're a parent, how you talk to your kids. I think, you know, again, times are changing and we're learning that teaching through shame is really painful and can really be problematic. And so when you are parenting, even like we want to try to parent with a focus on the behavior not the focus on the child. So you're not a bad kid, 
right? You made a bad choice. That choice was the problem. The child is not a problem. So that's something to kind of tuck away. But it's the same with how you talk to yourself. You are not the problem. The behavior, right, is the problem. So Brene Brown says that shame proneness is highly correlated with addiction, depression, violence, bullying, and eating disorders. Also other kinds of things too, right? Like everything from substance abuse as, you know, with the addiction, but also self-harm and even, you know, suicidal ideation because shame causes us to feel disconnected. It makes us feel badly about ourselves as a person. And of course, it's, you know, correlated with poor self-esteem and mental health issues. So that's kind of the bad news, right, about if we're, if we find ourselves really being shaming of ourselves. The good news is, is that with neuroplasticity, change is possible. So the way I talk about this with clients is, is that right now, maybe we have a super highway in our brain where our self-talk when we have are in a hard place or have done something we wish we wouldn't have done, the superhighway might be like super shaming. But the goal, right, is to dig a new road. And at first, it's hard work to do to dig a new road. I have to remember, I have to like bring myself back to that old road when my brain wants to do the superhighway thing and just go down the route it always has known. But over time, right, if we think about going through the woods and there's no path. If you continue to walk that same path, soon a trail is formed, right? But we have to, it's that repetition. And so, you know, I'm going to talk now a little bit about self-compassion and how practicing self-compassion, right? It's like creating this road toward being kinder to ourselves. And it might sound woo-woo to be compassionate to yourself, but what I want to tell you is like, this is rooted in science that Research shows that self-compassion is exactly what we need. And it basically means that we are giving ourselves the support and encouragement instead of being harsh and judgmental toward ourselves when we're struggling, when we're suffering, when we're in pain. So it's really extending compassion to our perceived inadequacies, failures, or just, you know, our general suffering and the way that's maybe a little bit easier to think about it is it's, it's, it is extending the same compassion and grace that we would give to someone we love, right? But it's giving it to ourselves. And so just think about someone or something, like if there's maybe like an animal or a person that you just really love and you care about so much and they made a mistake, you likely wouldn't say, or I hope you wouldn't say, right? Like, you're such an idiot, you're so dumb. Like, I can't believe you did that. Right. You might say something instead, like, oh, like, that's so hard. I've been there. That could happen to anyone. Right. That's such a tough space. You still are so such a wonderful person. Like, I'm sorry you're going through this. Right. We would extend that compassion and kindness to them. So let me tell you about Kristen Neff. So Kristen Neff is the leading expert in self-compassion, and she has some great material. She has a book or maybe more than one book. She's got workbooks. She's got a TED Talk. She has a whole bunch of YouTube videos. She's been interviewed on various podcasts. So I will link some of that in the show notes. So she is a great resource for teaching and learning self-compassion. She also has some really good 
guided meditations that can help us to increase our compassion for ourselves. Let's talk about why self-compassion. So self-compassion is correlated with greater emotional resilience. So it helps us to feel more resilient in the face of difficult situations. It's also correlated with better psychological health, greater life satisfaction or increased happiness, better emotional intelligence, better social connectedness, greater wisdom, initiative, curiosity, optimism, and positive affect or emotions. Additionally, people who have higher levels of self-compassion experience less self-criticism and less depression and anxiety, less fear of failure, less perfectionism, and even less disordered eating behaviors. So all these things that can really help us to feel better and to perform better and also to like increase our connection to other people. So there's so much science behind why self-compassion is so important. So let's talk through the three components of self-compassion as identified by Kristen Neff. And I'll talk to you a little bit about how we can practice these things. So the first one is self-kindness versus self-judgment. And what that means is just that can we be caring and understanding of ourselves instead of being harsh and critical or judgmental of ourselves? It really means that like knowing we're human and we're imperfect. And so when things are hard, can we turn inward and offer ourselves the same kindness and soothing and comfort that we would offer someone else? So instead of just moving in to fix it, got to get through this, got to get over it, or being harsh or mean to ourselves, can we pause and be kind? And I want to note this for a second because even if you're not a person who talks meanly to yourself, you might just move into more of like a problem-solving mode. Like I think I can be sort of like that, right? It's like, okay, this thing happened. What am I going to do? Versus self-kindness and self-compassion means actually stopping to notice, oh, I'm having a hard time. Can I be kind to myself? Can I soothe and comfort myself in this moment? before moving on. And so I also wanted to just say that even people might think like, oh, if I'm kind to myself, like I won't be as effective. But we know that the opposite is actually true because it helps us to see ourselves more accurately because we're not trying to hide. We're not hiding our shame points. We're not hiding the hard things. We can actually see more like we have a better perspective a more honest perspective of ourselves because we realize we're just human and so that kind of moves us into the second point or the second component of self-compassion which is this feeling of common humanity versus isolation and so this is just the recognition that we all fail right we're all human we make mistakes we all feel inadequate in some ways you know Brene Brown says that unless you're a psychopath, everyone has shame. Everyone feels this sense of like worry of not belonging at different times or like there's something inherently wrong with us. And so it's sort of being able to keep that in mind that like I am not alone. 
So it helps us to have this broader lens of humanity that like we are part of a shared humanity. We're not alone in this. We're not the only person that's ever gone through this or experienced something hard. And it helps us then to feel more connected instead of isolating and feeling disconnected when we're suffering. The third component of self-compassion, according to Kristen Neff, is mindfulness versus over-identification. So this is that part about like being aware of the present moment experience and our reaction to it. If we're not aware that we're suffering or struggling, if we haven't created that pause, it's impossible for us to offer that compassion toward ourselves. So we first have to recognize that we are suffering and then it also helps us because it gives us a sort of bigger perspective where we can watch ourselves, we can watch this sense of like other people suffer, other people struggle too, I'm not alone in this. And it helps us instead of being kind of swept away in the storyline of our own pain, it really helps us to be aware and then to be able to offer ourselves that kindness and that self-compassion. So if you're feeling a little worried, like, if I start being compassionate toward myself, what if I'm not going to be as successful? Like maybe being hard on myself has been really helpful to me. I just want to talk to you a little bit about kind of what the research shows. So some people fear like, oh, self-compassion is the same as self-indulgence. So like if I'm nice to myself, I'm just going to sit around and eat bonbons all day and watch TV and get nothing done. But self-compassion right, helps us to want good things for ourselves. It helps us to want health and well-being because we care about ourselves. If you're a parent, right, you don't just let your kid do whatever they want whenever they want because you care about them. So you do hold them up to these sort of standards. You have things that they need to do to take care of themselves and to be successful, So self-compassion actually motivates us to push through difficult challenges and to learn from our mistakes because we want to be happy. We want to be free from suffering because we care about ourselves. So you might be worried if I'm compassionate with myself, I may not aim as high. I might, you know, kind of let myself slip. But actually, self-compassionate individuals aim just as high but they're not as devastated when they don't reach their goals. Again, they're able to recognize their humanity. They're able to, you know, when something hard happens, offer themselves that compassion and then move forward. So instead of it being an excuse for self-indulgence, self-compassion actually pushes us forward, but for the right reasons, because we care about ourselves, because we're kind to ourselves. Hey, it's Jen. I just wanted to pop in and tell you about something we have coming up. My friend who is also a therapist, her name is Jillian Amaru, and I are going to be offering an eight-week mental health reset for moms. So this is an online course that you can work through at your own pace. It will also include an online community of support from other like-minded women who are on a similar journey. If you're wanting to start your new year off right, you're wanting to, you know, improve your relationships, improve the way you're feeling about yourself, improve your mental health and even your physical health through evidence-based practices and get some accountability in doing that, I would love to have you join us. You can find out more about the course at www.genally.com and it's currently on sale. Thanks so much. 
Let me tell you a little bit about the brain science of self-compassion. So when we experience compassion from others or from ourselves, it sends calming neurochemicals throughout the subcortical regions of our brains. And then this has a calming effect throughout our body. So think about like how you might have felt when you felt really understood by someone or you felt really less alone or they really like got you. They were really being compassionate and kind to you. Just notice how that feels in your body. And that is what happens, right? It helps us to soothe. It deactivates the threat response system. It helps us to feel secure, to feel safe. And it even can release oxytocin, right? That kind of love chemical. And so it helps us to feel more of a sense of belonging And the cool thing is, is that we can also offer ourselves this, right? It can help us to feel these same feelings in ourselves, this same calmness, this same sort of sense of regulation when we are compassionate toward ourselves. In contrast, when we experience judgment from others or ourselves, it sends excitatory neurochemicals into the subcortical regions of our brain. So think about how you feel when you experience someone being judgmental toward you, right? It feels activating. It's like, ooh, it's, it's upregulating. It doesn't feel good in our bodies. And that's the same as when we're mean or harsh or judgmental or critical with ourselves. So just from like a neurochemical, you know, perspective, it is so important that we are able to offer ourselves this kindness and this compassion, So let's talk about how do we do this in practical application? Like how do we actually start to build this road or to strengthen this pathway of compassion toward ourselves? So again, neurons that fire together, wire together. So the more practice that we get at doing this, the better off, the stronger those connections will be. It's going to be probably, if you are not a person who is compassionate toward yourself, this can feel really hard. And that makes sense, right? Because it's something brand new. It's like learning a new language. And so it's going to take time and it might feel cheesy. You might not even like believe it at first, Um, but it's okay. Again, the more we practice it, right, the easier it gets, the more natural or normal it feels, So step one is just to start to pay attention and notice your self-talk. Now, you can't beat yourself up, right? We don't want to beat yourself up for talking negatively toward yourself, but we just need to start to bring awareness to it. When you make a mistake, when something goes wrong, just notice how you're talking to yourself and you're just going to have to practice catching it over and over and over again. Now, when you catch it, you're going to pause You're going to imagine someone or something that you really love and care about and imagine that they were experiencing that same emotion, maybe that same pain or suffering or struggle in this moment and imagine that you're talking to them about it. Maybe you would offer them a hug so you can, this sounds cheesy again, but you can even put your arms around yourself or gently rock yourself, right? You can rub your, you know, hands up and down your arms, just doing something comforting. You can imagine what you would say to them, you know, like, I'm so sorry you're going through this. This is really hard. What a tough situation. Like, we're going to get through this. It's going to get better. So again, you can, you want to offer yourself 
that same kindness and attentiveness that you would offer someone or something that you really love. And then, as we said before, we just practice, practice, practice. And we want to try to practice those steps from Kristen Neff, which is to recognize your suffering, remember that you're human, you're imperfect, you make mistakes, recognize that all others also make mistakes. Like we're not alone. Other people have gone through this. If you can and you want to, you might reach out to someone to experience compassion from them. And then also just realize that this mistake or this moment is just one, right? That if you can back out and have some perspective of yourself as a whole person, that this moment or this mistake or this struggle is just one moment of many, many moments that are part of your experience. And then offer yourself that encouragement, that physical touch if you want to, and that support and care. And if you're thinking this sounds cheesy, I get it. Um, You know, I really do because many of us weren't raised this way, but I think it's so important. It can really change the trajectory of your life because it changes how you feel about yourself. It changes how you interact with yourself as you're navigating, you know, inevitable hard times in your life. And then lastly, I want to just suggest that you surround yourself with people who are compassionate. And if you don't have people who are compassionate, you might want to seek therapy. You know, I think part of uh, my client's experience of their own compassion for themselves increasing is because they are mirroring my compassion for them. They're experiencing my compassion for them in their struggles, and they begin to internalize that. Bonnie Badnock um, has a quote that says, who you see me to be calls out that part in me. And so as we experience compassion from other people, we can really start to internalize that and to see ourselves in that same light, to see ourselves in that same sort of loving way. So it's probably important if you don't have a lot of people in your life who are who can offer you this, is like, can we find people who do? But also, can we seek support and care even from a professional to begin this journey? And, you know, I do want to say there might be reasons it might be really hard for you to offer yourself compassion if you were raised in an environment that didn't offer that. Or again, as I said at the beginning, you know, if you had to keep yourself safe, emotionally safe by being hard or critical of yourself, there might be a lot of reasons for that internal critic. And then these are, you know, again, reasons why it might be helpful to seek therapy to kind of work through some of that. But I do want to just encourage you, can you start to practice self-compassion and self-kindness? Can you start to notice what your self-talk is like. And I'd love to hear back from you. What do you notice when you start to just practice a little bit of kindness? So I'm just going to invite you in this moment, if you can just sort of go inside, you know, if you're in a place where you're not driving or not doing something where you can actually close your eyes. And if you can't, you don't have to close your eyes, but just start to notice like, how am I doing right now? And can I offer myself a little bit of kindness and compassion right now? And again, it might feel really weird, might feel really awkward. That's normal. But neurons that fire together wire together. And over time, you can really change the way that you talk to yourself. And this, in turn, can have such a huge positive impact in your life. Thanks so much for listening. I'll look forward to seeing you back here next week.
Thanks so much for joining me on Between the Two of Us. If you found it helpful, please be sure to subscribe or follow and leave a review so others can join us in improving our mental health and relationships. The show notes from today's episode can be found at jenalley.com. You can also find me at jen.alley.therapist on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. See you next week.